and welcome to the Tavern Chat Podcast. This is episode 46. I am your host, Eric Tenkar, your bartender in the OSR, your main proprietor at the Tenkar's Tavern blog. So what are we going to discuss today? I'm sitting on my computer here. It's already 87 degrees outside in the borough of Queens, New York City. It's going to hit 99, 100, we'll see. Going to be fun. Well, yesterday on, on Google+, Plus, Matt Jackson brought up, uh, he kind of lamented the loss as an adult of spontaneous gaming. And I, I, I agreed with him. I mean, when I was in high school, when I was in college, you could game at the drop of a dime. And you called. You didn't have to even call your friends, man. I'd have friends just walk over. Hey, you ready to game? Nothing planned. We'll figure it out. We got those charts in the back of the DMG. We'll make a game of it one way or the other. And as adults, we've kind of uh, lost that. Adult responsibilities. We have our own families now. We're not free of responsibilities. Uh, I haven't done much gaming at all this year. And I've been to two conventions. It's just the way uh, responsibilities take precedence over recreation. So... I did make a post about it last night at the tavern, techcarstavern.com. I think we have already 10 comments on that post and going strong, so I will leave a link on the uh, blog post for this one. Linking back to last night's post. It's a good conversation, you know. And uh, some people have those ways to have some kind of spontaneous gaming as as adults, well, I I don't see it, but others have that ability, and that's great. Uh, something else to touch on real quick, Dryercon. I mentioned this, I believe, yesterday. I'll be going. That's in uh, September. And the Berkshire, or the Berkshire Mountains of Connecticut. It's a Sunday. I don't know, the 22nd or something like that. I'd, I'd have to look again. But uh, Rachel and I are going, uh, and I am also sponsoring. So, it's going to be a maximum of four sponsors and tavern sponsoring. This is where your money goes if you shop using uh, our affiliate link at, uh, at any of them, you know, OPS, Amazon, Humble Bundle. You know, if you, sort, if you support via Patreon, this is how we, you know, how I... Uh, spend such monies. A lot of it goes right back into the, uh, the community. All right. So we've touched on two things that are current events, and now we're going to go on to something that isn't current eventish. It goes back to 1985. Yes, we're going to go back and look at, you guessed it, the Unearthed Arcana for first edition. Now, I'm going to go right, right to the back of the book. Okay. I'm sorry, this made me scratch my head real hard when this thing came out. I was 85, so I was 17, 18, 
And I understood that with pole arms, the advantage of a pole arm was that it was generally long. And really not feasible for use in dungeons. What a vast majority of, of my gaming, especially my my teen years, my high school and college years, took place. So for Appendix T, the nomenclature of pole arms to be included in our North Arcana made me scratch my head a bit because if you're going to give us all these pages on pole arms, probably the least used weapon type in the game of Dungeons and Dragons. Again, because pole arms are generally meant, uh, and I'm talking generally, and I'm not, well, I guess even including lances, because except for jousting, if, if it's being used, it's being used in formation. Okay, pole arms are meant to keep the enemy at a distance when you poke and cut the shit out of them. It's a great idea. One man or woman holding a pole arm is very easy. If they, you know, they once you get past that point of the pole arm, they are at your mercy. When I say they, the the owner of the pole arm is at the mercy of the attacker. That's why pole arms are used. In formation, it becomes like a porcupine's bristles. So, this section of one, two, three, four, five, six pages on pole arms and North Arcana was, was mind boggling to me at the age because why do I want? So much talk about Poland when I think maybe one of my characters one time had a halberd, a magical halberd. And we had a confusion over uh, Lutheran hammers. I remember that one because we're like, oh, it's a, it's a hammer. It must be a blunt weapon. All right. Thanks to a picture like this, I know that uh, a Lutheran hammer and. Uh, a Beck the Corbin, which looks very similar to it, um, aren't hammers. They aren't going to be wielded by clerics. But even if they could be wielded by a cleric, they are long. That they are used to poke, and like I said, they're not used for close combat. Well, I shouldn't say close combat. They're not used for combat. In a dungeon, and they're not used for one-on-one -on -one combat. The worst thing to be is, you know, somebody with with a pole arm up against somebody with a spear. Once that person gets past the end of your pole arm, you've got nothing. It is useless. It, it's ugh. so. In any case, Gary gives us six pages on. The, pollen, the, the general pollen family, he breaks it down. Because you have the spear family. And the spear family includes the spear and the lance. Um, it also includes pikes, which are basically like 15-foot or longer spears. Now, again, 
what that's that's really great if you can hold people at bay 15 feet away but can you even carry a 15 foot long pike through a dungeon <clears throat> or, or or longer what if it's a 20 foot long pike how are you gonna <clears throat> if you're gonna go through like a five foot wide passageway which is maybe five foot tall what again what use other members of the spear family uh, we now come to the many specializing combination forms of the dagger on a stick. The spectrum, the spectrum is probably designed to increase both offensive and defensive capacities of, an, of a normal spear. The Ransor. At first glance, Ransor appears to be a form of spectrum, or vice versa. The Partisan. And it's not, you know, not like we think about it when it comes to, like, oh, I don't know, the Russian Revolution. This form of a polymer is basically a spear with an ox tongue blade. Then you have the axe family, the poleaxe, the halberd, which is, to me the halberd is always what I think of when it comes to uh, pole arms. The bardisha, the pole cleaver, the focard. This weapon is uh, a development of the scythe or sickle, the glaive. The Gizame, the Vogue, the Lochaber Axe, uh, the Billhook, uh, the Military Fork. Again, you know, Gary delves so much time into shit that isn't going to make it into most campaigns. Sure, if, if you have a military formation, if you have men-at-arms, uh, you're a fighter of ninth level or better, and here you got your... Yeah, you know what? It, maybe this comes into play, but it's not going to come into play during an adventure for the most part. It's going to come into play when you're moving military forces around, at which point you're not using an Earth Arcana. You're probably using Battle System. Oh, God, I should pull that one off the shelf. But uh, you're going to the Lucerne Hammer, like I said, not not a hammer. The Beck de Corbin. Oh, and then, of course, combination weapons. The Focard Fork. The Focard Gisarme. The Glaive Gisarme. The Gisarme Vogue. The Bill Gisarme. Listen, you know that you are basically looking at somebody's uh, college thesis when, at the end of it, you actually have a bibliography. And it, uh, it, it has five sources. Ashdown Charles, Armor and Weapons in the Middle Ages, London, 1909. <coughs> oh, actually, no, that's, that's London, 1925, followed by British and Foreign Arms and Armor, London, 1909. So that's actually two sources. So actually, that I undercounted here. Uh, armor and Weapons, A History of the Art of War in the Middle Ages, two volumes. Warriors and the Weapons of Early Times and Use of Arms and Armor, an Encyclopedia Britannica, uh, 1910-1911 edition. Um, and I don't know who did the art on all the uh, the pole arms. You know what? This belongs in a book about weaponry. And that's fun. And, I, and, and, and listen, I understand the excuse why it's included here. The reason why it's included is because, all right, we brought Cavaliers into the game. 
Cavaliers who are going to be on their mounted horse. Uh, Cavaliers who are going to have a lance and and they're going to want to have their men at arms have pole, pole arms. You know, again, if you're the majority of the adventures when I was young took place on the ground. The majority of the adventures that you bought uh, with almost without exception took place in a quote dungeon environment. It took place where pole arms were basically ineffective if not useless. So to, so to devote this number of pages on Something that really has no effect in the game tells me that Gary really liked his fucking pole arms. <laughs> that, that, that's what this tells me. Uh, an astonishing number of different weapons were employed during the medieval period, according. What is nearly as surprising is the lack of uniformity of names by which these weapons are called. Seemingly, Authors who should be authorities in this regard carelessly brand one sort of weapon under an entirely mistaken classification, thus confusing the uninformed reader and generally making identification difficult and uncertain. An outstanding example of this misnaming of weapons appears in Warriors and Weapons of Early Times by Niels M. Saxtorf, where an obvious morning star is described, oh, sorry, it's identified as a mace. <coughs> well, the general use of both weapon types is the same. They differ sufficiently to make it rather important to distinguish between the two. A mace is usually a short-shafted weapon with a flanged head. The whole cast in one piece. The Morning Star is a longer weapon, typically employed by infantry, with a wooden shaft and head later set with radiating spikes. So, <clears throat> excuse me. That is Gary's... Uh, excuse, I guess, to include this in. I'm going to clarify for you, the reader, the gamer, what these different pole arms are. You may never use them in game, but I am going to show you how well I've done my research. And and again, that's fine. I just don't think it belongs here. You know, I don't... It, I, unless... All right, I'm going to make a, a guess, and maybe somebody who knows better will chime in down the line. Uh, I guess I could always ask, oh, I, I, design consultants. Creation and design of this was by Gary Gygax. Design consultants, Frank Metzner, Jeff Grubb. Uh, editing, Kim Mohan. All right, well, I know Frank. I know Jeff. Maybe I'll ask Jeff at the if he's uh, at Game Hall again this fall. Jeff, why were there pole arms in Arcticana? And I don't know. I have no inside information, but I'm going to say we needed to fill six pages. <clears throat> Just a thought. Just a thought. All right. That's my... Uh, my my heated discussion on pole arms heated only because it's going to be a scorcher here in, in New York City today. All right, folks. Thank you for joining. I appreciate it. If you are on iTunes, last I checked, which was yesterday, we had two reviews. Keep them coming, folks. I really appreciate it. 
be safe. God bless. Roll those dice well. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Later.